our scripture this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. So excited that you guys could be here with us. If this is one of your first few times joining us, this is a wonderful time to kind of get into the life of the church because this has been a bit of a transition for us in, in really exciting ways. In fact, today is the conclusion of a sermon series we're calling God is Moving because we just really sense as a church, God has been moving us. I mean, actually quite literally <laughs> moving us into this space, and we're excited to be here. We love the Computer History Museum. Uh, and then also moving in terms of like this launch that we're getting ready to do on the 9th, which is next Sunday. We're kind of all collectively uh, together, pulling together towards that event. Uh, we're finishing this series, uh, God is Moving, considering how we can move with him. And to say this, we, we love this space, but this space, we don't want to have a, a bit of a, a, field of dream, a field of dreams mindset about it. I feel like I might be dating myself with that reference, but you know that if you build it, they will come kind of idea. We don't want to have that mindset with this wonderful space. As much as we enjoy it, as much as we see potential here that we could use for it, uh, we don't want to have a, hey, if we just do things, the space will take care of itself. Nor do we want to think about it in terms of anything other than a tool. So, for instance, if I were to bring a, a hammer up here and we were all to, like, you know, consider a hammer, we understand that a hammer is a, is a wonderful tool for a specific purpose. But outside of that purpose, the tool doesn't really do much for us. Uh, the same thing we believe is here. We're really excited about this space. We see the potential, but it must be a space that we see to steward for what we see God is doing. And so we want to be thinking about that and reminding ourselves of God's mission and his mission for us. Because we started this church a little over six years ago now, uh, really with this thought in mind. Uh, we, we have three high-level vision thoughts. We want to love God. We want to love one another. And we want to love our neighbors or love the world. Uh, and it's this last one that we've been really focusing in on this series. Because our thought from the very beginning is if there's any tendency in the human heart 
or among a group of people, including churches, it's that over time we can increasingly become inward focused. And so we want to fight to remain outward focused because that's what we see the heart of God is for us to be outward focused, even as he is outward focused. So when it comes to, say, this space, as much as we love it, we want to steward it towards that purpose. And so we're gearing up for this launch party uh, in one week. Uh, personal invitations have been made, maybe are going to be made some more this week. Uh, mailers have gone out. Maybe some of you came today because we have a mailer that hit this last week. Excited that you're here. But the whole idea here is we believe God is moving, and we want to join with him in this. So the question we're going to ask today one last time is how? How can we join him as he moves? Uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we're just so thankful for all the ways that you've been moving in and through uh, this church. Uh, we say this all to your glory. We say this all to say thank you for what you've been choosing to do and allow us to see all the people who've made decisions to follow you, yes, even in the Bay Area, all the ways in which you've allowed us graciously have impact in the community, all the life change and stories around that that we're just we celebrate and we say thank you. It's because of you. And we, we ask that you continue to move, yes, move in even greater ways and that you would graciously allow us to play a part of it. We recognize that we are broken people, sinful people who desperately need Jesus ourselves. But we're so thankful for the grace you so readily extend to us when we don't deserve it. And we thank you for the grace to extend that same grace to those around us. Lord, would you use us as a church in this, toward that end to be, as Jesus said, a light on a lampstand a city on a hill, forever, as long as you have us here in this wonderful space. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, today, as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at God is moving. Well, how can we join him in that? Okay? And the first place we're going to start is with the heart. When it comes to joining God when he moves, it starts with our hearts. Uh, the Apostle Paul was writing to the early church in Rome, in this, in this book, the book of Romans, of course, uh, it, to a, a quite unique church. The church in Rome was quite unique in, in the sense of, well, for, for one thing, it was a church that Paul hadn't himself founded or even visited. Uh, we have a number of letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to a number of different churches, and this was unique in that he didn't found this one. He, didn't, he hadn't even visited it, but still he had his heart to write a letter to them. And then another thing that was really unique about this church is that it was quite diverse, okay? So the city of Rome was about as a melting pot of any other back in the ancient world. But more specifically, in this church, what had started to happen is there was, there was beginning to be a, what Paul describes, a Gentile majority, Gentile being non-Jews. So folks, of course, had come to faith first in Jerusalem, out of Jerusalem, where Jesus died and rose again. The faith kind of took uh, uh, flame there and kind of spread out. And now is reaching parts of the world where a lot of these churches, and Rome was being one of these, were predominantly Gentile or non-Jew Christians. And so Paul was writing to these guys, and there's some Jewish Christians there as well, all with this in mind. And what he did in the book of Romans was really set out a treatise of the gospel. I don't have time to get into this now, but a lot of biblical scholars say that, man, if we happen to only have one Bible book that was able to be preserved, they would say it should be the book of Romans. I mean, that's how big of a book this is in terms of kind of all of, all of scripture. I personally would vote for one of the gospels, Jesus' life, but if, if you could easily argue that, hey, if you could only preserve one book, it would be Romans because Romans sets out just in a systematic way what the gospel is. 
what God created us for, to be in relationship with him, our condition, how we kind of rejected that, and what he did about it through Jesus. And then if we follow him, what it means. It's just, it just lays out the gospel. Well, in chapter 9, he kind of shifts gears to talk about the gospel and specifically the Jewish place in the gospel. So again, he's writing to this mostly Gentile, non-Jewish Christian church. And he turns in chapter 9 to talk specifically about the Jews' place, specifically those who have yet to put their faith in Jesus, their place in God's plan of salvation. And it's with this thought that he starts in chapter 9 and carries on into our text in chapter 10 to make the case to those Gentile Christians, hey, you need to reach out to them. You need to share with them the love of God through Jesus. And he shows us here that it has to start with our hearts. It had to start with their hearts. Uh, Look again at verse 1. Brothers and sisters, he said, My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Uh, In fact, if you go back to chapter 9, when he kind of first starts to talk about this, he's even more intense and explicit about what he's feeling. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. That's a mind-boggling thought. Paul is saying here, man, if I could be cut off from Jesus and all the wonderful things about being connected to him, if for my fellow Jews to, be, to have that with Christ, I would do that. That's, that's a mind-boggling thought. Not least of which because Paul, in any number of times and in any number of ways, says that the main thing in his life is his connection to Christ. He said, I would give that up if it meant my Jewish brethren would put their faith in him. I was thinking about it this week. I was just like, that's crazy. And then I realized that's in a way kind of how parents feel about their kids, right? If heaven forbid a parent had to face a situation where it was their life or their kids, a parent would almost certainly say, okay, you know, I would give my life for the kid." This is just to say it's to this degree Paul was yearning in his heart for his fellow Jewish brethren to know Jesus. It's, it starts with our... So, okay, what does that mean for us? Like, as we start to jump the gap, think about what it means for us here and now in this place. Let me ask you, do you have a heart like Paul's for the people of the Bay Area? For the people of the Silicon Valley who don't know Jesus? Do you have a heart like Paul's? It's just in deep anguish for them to know Jesus. I imagine some of you right now are thinking, oh dang, I'm not so sure. <laughs> Others, maybe you're actually, oh dang, I do know and I don't have that heart. It's okay, okay. Do you have a heart like Paul's for the people of the Bay Area who don't know Jesus? The people you're sitting next to at work, the people you're living next to in the community? Do you have a heart like Paul's? Or do you have a heart more like Jonah's? You know the story of Jonah? Bible scholars call him the reluctant prophet. That's a great term for him. He was called by God to go preach the gospel to the city of Nineveh. And when he received that call, he said, yeah, God, no thanks, I'm good. That's the David translation. That's basically what he said. God called him east of Nineveh. He got on a boat and went west. He said, I'm out of here. I don't want to do that. And the reasons for that are probably many, not, not least of which Jonah is just a character. I mean, his temperament, his personality, that alone probably had enough to do with him not going. But more more to the point, almost certainly the reason why, or at least a big reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh, is they were the mortal enemies 
of God's people at the time. Jonah lived about 800 years before Christ, and man, the Ninevites were a terrible people directing a lot of wicked things toward the Israelites. So it's no wonder that Jonah was like, you know what, I'm good, I don't want to do that. Jonah didn't even want to go preach judgment to the people of Nineveh. That's how much he just wanted nothing to do with it. And you, you might know the story. He got on the boat, went west, and God brought a storm and a great fish and turned him around back east. So Jonah was like, all right. Went to Nineveh, preached there, essentially saying to them, hey, you better shape up. Or in 40 days, God's going to bring judgment. It's not going to go well for you. Then he went up, found a kind of a mountaintop there in the desert, perched himself to watch God smite the Ninevites. Only the unthinkable happened. The people of Nineveh had a change of heart. They cried out to God for mercy, and God relented. And Jonah was ticked off. He was ticked off. He basically has this dialogue, you can read this later if you want, in Jonah chapter 4, where he's like, I knew it, God. Interestingly enough, he wasn't angry at the Ninevites Ninevites for changing of heart. He was angry at God. I knew it, God. And he said this, I I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And then he adds, so just take my life, Lord. It's better for me to die than to live. Talk about an emo dude, right? (laughs) God gives Jonah a little bit of an object lesson, sends him a plant there in the desert on that perch to keep, keep him in the shade from the scorching heat. Jonah's about that. He loves the shade. He's happy about that. Still wants to see God smite the Ninevites. It doesn't happen. But God actually ends up taking away that plant. And Jonah, again, is ticked off. Lost his little plant. Lost his little shade. And God comes to him to make the point, essentially saying, God, oh, excuse me, Jonah, you love this plant, but I love those people. Or maybe even more pointedly, Jonah, you love yourself and the shade you're getting from that plant, but I love you and those people over there. Do you, do you have a heart more like Paul's or more like Jonah's? Because, you know, even Paul's heart was just a faint shadow of God's heart for those who don't know him. Because, I mean, the gospel is, Paul went over here to say, you know what, if I were to be cut off from Jesus so that my Jewish brethren could come to know him and have eternal life, I would do that. But the gospel is Jesus literally was cut off for the sake of any of us who put our faith in him. And remember, this, this has essentially been the theme of this series, by the way. God is moving. Look at all these texts where essentially it's been God's heart to love those who don't yet know him. A couple weeks ago, Luke 15, Jesus told a story, a parable of, of him, of a shepherd leaving the 99 to go after the one and how there was great rejoicing and joy in heaven. Because that's what God cares about. That's his heart. And then last week, we looked at Matthew 9, where it said Jesus had compassion on the crowds. I mean, that Greek word is actually really interesting. It's like he was feeling it in his body. Like he was like physically feeling compassion for people who didn't know the love of God through himself. Um, Do you have a heart like Paul's? Or is it more like Jonah? Hey, that's okay. I mean, I, I love the fact that Jonah's in the scriptures. I mean, just think about that for a second, that God would include in his holy scriptures a reluctant prophet like that. That's really encouraging. Because if there's a spectrum of Jonah to like Paul, right? We're somewhere in there. So let me ask you again, where's your heart? 
for the people around you in the workplace or that you're living next to? Because it's really easy. Let's say, I mean, it's a very transient area. Many of you I know statistically moved into this area from elsewhere. The Bay Area is an interesting culture. Maybe for you, the culture of the Bay Area is kind of hard. It's like, oh, man, it's hard to love folks, the sensibilities here or cultural mindset. I don't know. Or maybe it's more, as I move here, it's like I'm only here temporarily or I don't know how long I'm going to be here, so ah, what's it worth? Or maybe it's kind of what we talked about last week, and that is, man, I understand Christianity is a bit of a swear word in the Bay Area. <laughs> so I don't know if I want to share my faith around here because then I don't know how it's going to be received. Whatever the case might be, where's your heart? Do you have a heart for folks in the Bay Area? And here's what I would say. If this is you, let's say your heart's more towards the Jonah or not as much towards the Paul that you would want it to be, Paul actually gives you and me the next step for us if, if that's where we're there. Because remember, verse 1 says, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that the Israelites may be saved. You and I, we can pray to God, hey, Lord, would you please give us your heart for those you have me next to in the workplace? Would you give me your heart for, the, for my neighbors? Would you give me your heart for the people around me? And I believe he will. I believe he will because that's his heart. And he's placed you and me in the places he's placed us precisely that we would share his heart, his love through Jesus with those around us. That's where it starts when it comes to joining God when he's moving with our heart. The next we see is, is the message, okay? This message is really important. Romans 10, and I'll read verses 2 through 13 here, say this, for I, I can testify about them, again, Paul's talking about the Jewish non-Christians, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person, who does, uh, the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I wanted to read that in its entirety again, because I feel like this is one of the best articulations of the gospel in all of the scriptures. Essentially, what Paul is saying here is there are two routes we try to take towards salvation. There's two routes. One is our way. The other is God's way. One is through our effort. The other one is through God's. And Paul, remember, was talking specifically to Jews back then. Jews who had in their background kind of the foundation of the law. That's why he keeps referring to the law of Moses. These commands, these stipulations, these decrees, all found in the Hebrew scriptures, helping us understand what kind of people God calls us to be, how we are to live. In other words, his standard. But the reasoning, the rationale that Paul is giving, not only in this part, but really throughout much of the book of Romans, is that if there's anything God's law does, in addition to showing us his standard, it's to show us how far we miss living up to that standard. Like if the God does any, if, the, if the law does anything, it not only shows us God's standard, but how far we miss living up to that standard. 
that there's basically a chasm in between us and, and God if we try to do it through good works and through keeping all the laws best we can. In other words, Paul is saying you can't find salvation through religion. Have you thought about it that way before? You can't do it through living a good life, doing all these things that we know we ought to do. Love, care, serve others. Take care of needs, all the rest of it. But, and this is really what the gospel is, which literally means the good news, God came to offer salvation on our behalf. That's why verse 4 is so powerful. It's such an incredible verse. Christ is the culmination of the law. So that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Paul and then Jesus at times said, not only does the scripture show us the standard and show how far we miss the standard, it essentially is letting us know that we need outside help and God has sent his outside help through Christ. The gospel or good news of Jesus is that he came to live the life that we ought to live, to uphold the standard that we ought to but don't. And then he died the death or punishment that we deserve in our, in our stead. And because he did that, we can see, receive his righteousness or his right standing before God on our behalf. And this is really, if you're here today, you've never received the good news. Uh, the only thing I would love for you to hear today, and that is you can receive this. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again that you can have life in him. Because here's the thing. Remember, Paul is writing specifically to Jews with the law in their background, but this actually applies to all people. Even if you didn't grow up Jewish or with any Bible or maybe even consider yourself atheist, whatever the case might be, this structure of thinking applies to all of us. What do you mean? Well, we all try to find salvation in different forms or ways. We all try to find ultimate meaning, value, purpose in something or someone or in some place apart from God. And in, in this life, there's all these things that we can try to do that, but those things will never live up to what they promise, and they will only ever fade away. I mean, listen to how Tim Keller writes about this in his book, Counterfeits God, which is really uh, fascinating read if, you, if you're at all interested. But he talks about this using the imagery of serving an idol. He said this, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give that, that to give you only what God can give. Anything that is so central and, uh, and, and essential to your life that, you should, it, that if you should lose it, your life will hardly be worth living. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. In other words, we all try to seek a form of salvation in some form or fashion. But God's salvation is through grace, and it's the only one that's eternal. It's unconditional. And at the heart of it all, it's all you need is need. All you need is, is nothing. Here's a verse worth every Christian memorizing. This is Romans 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, that's really boils down to two, two things. Do you receive Jesus as Savior and do you receive him as Lord? In fact, these are the two questions I ask at baptism. Uh, whenever somebody goes to be baptized, I will ask, do you believe that Jesus came to die for your sins on the cross and that God the Father raised him to life on the third day? That's the Savior question. And then do you commit to following him the best you can from this day forward with his help? That's the Lord question. It really comes down to those two things. 
And you can receive that even today. In fact, if you do receive him today, if that's something that you've been thinking about, or maybe even today your, your heart's tugging, you're like, yeah, I believe. Uh, we would love to celebrate with you on that. Come alongside you. In fact, baptism's a wonderful way to do that. Baptism doesn't save us, but it's a way that we express, a way that we declare that Jesus is our Savior and Lord. If you're a Christian, you've never been baptized, that's one of your next steps. Come talk to us. We'd love to celebrate with you. If you'd like to make that decision in your heart or you have, let us know. I mean, you know, we put these out here, these little connection cards, and today my next step is to put my faith in Jesus. Really, the thought there is to give you a little chance to quote-unquote declare it, put a little spiritual marker down. Uh, and then we can come alongside you and celebrate you, resource you if, if, to the extent you feel comfortable. But that's the message. So it starts with the heart. There's the message. And then finally, here's the call. After this wonderful promise in verse 13 that says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, by the way. Remember, think about this in terms of who he was talking to. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He goes on to, to conclude with a series of questions. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can, they, can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We are called as followers of Jesus to be the mouth, mouthpiece of God and to be his feet. Uh, I love that thought. And I love this little uh, quote that Paul is bringing to this letter here. He says, how beautiful, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah who lived about 700 years before Jesus. When he said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring news. When Isaiah was writing about this, he was talking about the return from exile of the people of God. Real quickly, the story there was, yeah, God's people had been taken into exile, and a lot of them thought, okay, we're never going to be a people anymore. We're never going to have our own land. God had told them, hey, I'm going to bring you back. It's going to work out, but they still had fear. And Well, the day came when miraculously God moved through the heart of the king of Persia to say, okay, the Israelites can return. The Jews can return. So could you just imagine that day when the messengers went out and shared, hey, we can go back. Have you heard the good news? We can return. Could you imagine being one of those messengers and all the joy that they would have been experiencing? But friends, for those of us who follow Jesus, our good news is infinitely better because it's not our news, it's God's news. And it's about salvation. It's about a restored relationship with God through Jesus. So we're called to share that. That's a big part of our call. And I would just have us note that when Paul talks about hearing, really anywhere it's talked about sharing the good news, it's never said you need to go out and force people to believe. You need to go out and just really convince them if they're not convinced. The force of what's being said is we're just to lay it out there, just to be the bearers of this good news in the hopes and prayer that those around us might receive it. As the band comes forward and we get ready for communion, which we're going to take here in a few moments, this is our calling. As God is moving, we want to move alongside him. We want our heart to be his heart. We want to have the heart of love and care for those around us, even here in the Bay Area and the Silicon Valley. You know, I would just say there's good number of you who over the last six years have very intentionally made the decision to root here in the Bay Area, like root yourself here in the Bay Area precisely to be a part of everything we're talking about. And I would just say, man, we thank God for you because this is an easy area to come and go. This is an easy area to just decide it's too expensive. It is too expensive. <laughs> but to say, you know what? 
we want to we stay here because God loves people here. He's called us to. And we thank God for you. Oh, and what a joy to link arms and do this together uh, with you as a family. Uh, that's been, Cindy's and my, one of our greatest joys in life. We want our heart to be God's heart. We want our message to be his message, a message of salvation that's not based on our own effort. In fact, this is a message that Christians, that I myself need to hear. Because it is so too easy to look for salvation, ultimate purpose, value, meaning, in things other than God. I do it all the time. But God invites us to receive his message anew, if that's the case for you, in Jesus, the grace that he earned for you on the cross, his righteousness. That's our message. And here's our call is to take that to others, to take this wonderful good news to those around us with humility but also with some confidence and boldness because it's God's message, not, not ours. He's on the move here in the Silicon Valley even, yes, and he has graciously allowed us to have some small part in that privilege, and it's our joy. Uh, we would ask that you join us as we do our best to follow him. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for all that you've doing in the life of the church as we conclude this series and really just kind of this season of transition in a way of coming into this new space and considering the potential and calling that you have for us now that we are here in the computer history museum for just you know just a few weeks now we're really excited lord because we've been seeing you as a church do incredible things yes miraculous things and we long to see you do even greater things into this next season but we need your help. We need your help to have a heart like your heart. We need your help to have a boldness to share the message and to be the feet of Christ. Lord, we are broken ourselves, sinful people. And so today, we take another moment to remember the body of Christ and his blood. His body broken, his bloodshed. Thank you for bringing us together as a church. Thank you for this place. Would you do wonderful things going into the years to come? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.